Hello and welcome to the Dash Podcast. I'm here with Mr. Lorenzo Hughes, who is a senior manager for school support and equitable services out in the Maryland area. So you just finished a PD today, like literally just left the PD with a huge district and a lot of schools to talk about equity as a leader in the school. What, what, now, what does that mean, sir? Well, good, good morning, first of all. Yes, uh, I just finished up uh, professional development. The Office of Professional Growth and Development invited my, my office in as we're doing work for leadership development. And particularly in this series, we're working with assistant principals. And so my presentation to them was leading through the lens of equity. Uh, and what I had them do is I actually had them read an article that was entitled just that, Leading mm-hmm. Through the Lens of Equity. It was featured in uh, Educational Leadership. And so I had them to do a three text level protocol in which I had them to read the article. Uh, They were to cite three passages that resonated with them and had implications for their work around the work of equity. And then I broke the group up into triads and then gave them a chance to talk about, to identify one of their three quotes. And then I gave the other uh, participants time to respond. It's a way to Mm. provide equity and voice. So as opposed to being the sage on stage, I was more so the guide that walked beside. And so mm. once they all had a chance to share, then we brought it back to a whole group discussion. And it was a very rich discussion uh, because I share with them the fact that this achievement gap has beleaguered us for uh, time and time and time again. And we already know more than we need to to know uh, what to do. And for those kids whose learning is of interest to us. It's the quote that actually Dr. Ron Edmonds said back in 1979 that, you know, for those kids whose learning is of interest to us, we take issue with it and we make sure that we give them what they need because we know what we need to do. Right. It's just the fact that we haven't done it so far. So right. it's challenging them. And it took a while actually to get them to say what we already know, that the achievement gap, it's the, Af- it's the black boys that's the, the, the problem. And so we mm-hmm. had that conversation uh, about that. And I was able to introduce some uh, of Robin DiAngelo's work, uh, the book, she has his white fragility and talking to them about that and just there, you know, and I share with them, I know that you're uncomfortable and it's, mm-hmm. it's what you're going to do with that discomfort that's uh, that's going to be meaningful. And so they need to take that on as the leaders in their building to interrupt the narrative that has been going on too far, far too long. Hmm. You just said so much right there. Um, and I think you you pinned it the lace the um, with your last statement. Um, interrupt the narrative. That's that's huge. Tell me what what's the narrative, Lorenzo? The narrative is that black boys are not achieving, and that the teachers in the classroom are accepting of that narrative. And again, uh, that's a problem. And one of the things that I share with them, and even one of the assistant principals brought out the fact of constantly having collaborative team meetings, going to look at data and knowing that the data is going to say the same thing. And I share with them, I, this is my 23rd year in education. I have been from the classroom to the boardroom. I've been a teacher, I've been an assistant principal, I've been a principal, I've been an assistant superintendent for instruction before I got to this position. And I said to them, I am new to this district. If I would walk through your school, and there were 30 assistant principals there, I walked through your school, I could tell which classroom was advanced class and which class was the low class. And I said to them, how could I do that? And they were talking about the type of instruction. I said, I don't even need to walk into your classroom. I can look in the window. And finally they said that we're tracking our kids, the African-American kids, into the lower level. And so I said to them, you don't need to study another piece of data. You don't need to have another collaborative discussion because as far as data, I talked to them about the DRIP syndrome. And I asked them if they know what the DRIP syndrome is. And DRIP stands for data rich and information poor. So we need to understand why they are 
why are we getting the data that we're getting and what are they doing to be culturally responsive in their teaching to meet the needs of all the kids because we've all seen that graphic uh, that talk about equity versus equality. Mm. My office actually, the Office of Equity and Accelerated Student Achievement, uh, we provide professional developments because this district is serious about equity and we have built into the calendar four half days in which the entire wow. district, and again, 83,000 students, um, 126 schools, four days uh, of the year is a half day dismissal in which um, we provide equity PD. And one of those PDs that they had that was mandated at the beginning of the year was on implicit bias. And so they were sharing with us about how many uh, staff members talked about how uncomfortable that conversation was. Uh, and again, we have to have that type of conversation and we're working with them to push through that conversation because again, our kids need to make sure we, our kids can achieve at greater levels if we're be, if we're meeting the needs and meeting them where they are and taking them to the next level and having a higher expectation because that narrative that we need to interrupt it's unfortunate that for too many people they're okay when they look at the data and they see what it is mm. and so we've got to interrupt that and understand that our kids have the ability and african-american kids specifically what i'm speaking about have the ability to achieve at high levels with the appropriate degrees of support. Mm. So how did that come about? I know when, when I was in college around 2013, 14, that's when I really personally realized that inclusion, diversity, equity, were um, of, of, they were important. And I, I think in the generation of millennials and, and Gen Z, um, equity is not really, it's not a, it's not a choice anymore. It's, it's a must in a lot of ways. How did that become a priority for you in your county? <clears throat> well, again, I just joined this county back in July of 2018, but it became an issue because again, we, we hear and we, we, we hear the, the social political context that we are in now where race and racism is much more prevalent. I mean, the covers have been thrown in that people are talking about it and being quite disparaging with regard to, um, you know, their racist ways. And so we, you know, we have these schools, the public schools is no more than a microcosm of the general society. And so again, making sure that we meet the needs of all the kids and meeting them where they are, you know, we can't be, we, we, we're dumbing down, um, you know, instruction for, for kids of color uh, that becomes problematic. Mm -hmm. uh, we are uh, allowing them to live beneath their privilege and not giving them the opportunities. One of the things that the district did prior to my uh, arriving here is they did quite a bit of work around the equity taxonomy. And one of the ones that resonates with me is, the, is taxonomy number three, which talks about the opportunity to learn and whether or not we're giving our kids exposure uh, to the more rigorous instruction. Because when we walk into our advanced placement classes, when we walk into our international baccalaureate classes and those classes that uh, have a, a higher degree of cognitive demand, we're not seeing our kids there, but we're seeing an overrepresentation of kids of color in special ed. Mm. That is not the case, and we are handicapping them uh, to be successful in the society, and that is that cannot be. This district also has uh, launched a strategic plan last year, and the uh, mission behind that is all means all. And so, again, making sure mm. that we're giving all kids what they need and making sure that all kids are successful. And around that, we have to talk about equity. And so, you know, the, the, the ladies in my office and myself are doing, we're working overtime to make sure that equity is a part of every conversation, just not in the classroom, but in the boardroom, in the curriculum office, making sure that our, our kids see themselves and what it is they're being taught, in the hiring process. Because again, equity permeates all the organizations at all levels. Mm. Mm. That's you hit on three things that I, I want you to 
there's so much to unpack that I, I just want to, however you see best fit, you said um, living beneath privilege, and there was another line below that. Can you expand on that a little bit for me? Because we are not giving our kids, because they're living beneath their privilege because they're not being given the opportunities to learn. One of the things, one of the professional developments that we do is uh, uh, we use uh, Zaretta Hammond's work, who uh, uh, talks about culturally responsive teaching and the brain. And she actually talks about the physiological makeup of the brain and when students are not challenged to the highest level, how the brain is not able to develop. The dendrites are not um, developed to their full potential because to, to bring it down to layman's terms, when we walk into classrooms and we're seeing that kids are worksheeted to death, mm. when they're given, you know, uh, uh, looking, at, uh, looking at just rote knowledge and regurgitating rote knowledge, that's not helping the kids learn more, but helping the kids to be able to analyze, critically analyze, to synthesize information, to, to, to take something that they learn and apply it to real world, make a real world application of it. We need to have more opportunities for kids to do those type of things and being able to take the theoretical into practical. And so when we are giving kids worksheets, when we're giving, when we are allowing kids uh, who are reading at two and three grades, uh, uh, grades below grade level, and we're not doing anything to try to increase that, then again, the kids are living beneath, uh, beneath their privilege and it feeds the school to prison pipeline. Hmm. Why? Because we have a kid who is in a classroom and here's how it starts out. We have a kid who in, in, in the elementary years is unable to read. We pass this kid along. This kid then, as he gets older, realizes he can't read. And so in order to avoid uh, uh, his exposure that he cannot read, he's going to do something to avoid it, i.e. getting kicked out of class. So when he gets kicked out of class, of course, he's not learning. He's in the assistant principal's office, which typically leads to um, you know, a detention or out-of-school suspension. So, so then he's missing more instruction. And because he's out of school, then he is uh, prone to more delinquent behavior. And that delinquent behavior leads to what? Probably some involvement with juvenile justice. And so with juvenile justice, you know, doing that, which leads over to the criminal justice system and see how this is snowballed from a fact that this kid that couldn't read. And so then he gets caught up into the juvenile justice system, the criminal justice system, which means that he cannot access a meaningful employment. He's not able to get the higher level paying jobs, which means that again, he's living beneath his privilege. Why? Because he can't get a higher paying job because I've got a, I got a criminal record, I got a criminal record because I couldn't read because I was put out of school. Yeah. So it just cascades and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And so again, we need to get, I mean, the school to prison pipeline starts, you know, and we, we've got to interrupt that. Yeah. And making sure we keep our kids in school, give them every opportunity to have options once they graduate from high school. And I'm not suggesting that everyone needs to go to college, but we do want them to be able to have options so they can access uh, gainful employment so they can live a, a you know a productive life so they can be a productive citizen mm. Mm. and and that goes into um upward mobility I, I didn't i learned about upward mobility a few years ago but your, your chance if you start poor you're gonna end poor um i know i'm in south carolina and that's there, there's no upward mobility for people of color because of this pipeline that we're talking about here. So you mentioned the taxonomy. What is that taxonomy called? And can you explain that as the next level to um, living beneath that privilege? Um, the Bloom's taxonomy, uh, oh, the, Bloom the uh, equity taxonomy just talks about ways in which um, we, we infuse, um, that we infuse the uh, equality. And the first is the physical integration, which talks about race and ethnicity, 
of uh, gender, class, uh, sexual orientation, and broadening of the lens. So how we integrate equi equity within uh, various uh, um, organizations within the school. So there's a physical integration of it. Uh, the second uh, level of that is the social and emotional engagement. And again, making sure that there is a degree of cultural proficiency um, within, um, and when we offer a, collect a welcoming environment within to uh, the school setting. Uh, and again, as a part of that social and emotional engagement that we do have incorporate restorative practices, uh, you know, so again, so the kids, you know, if they make a mistake that, you know, that they're not ostracized, they're able to uh, have some sort of restoration. Yeah. Their taxonomy, which I talked about, was the opportunity to learn. And that's uh, structural access to the curriculum and how are we helping kids um, to access the highest level of curriculum. And we have to be careful because a lot of times in schools, we have what's called gatekeeping, where we where we hmm. put up structural uh, uh, systems such that kids can't access the higher level courses, and those can be things such as the need for a teacher recommendation or to access higher level classes, hmm. uh, needing to do um, uh, needing to do an essay, uh, needing to do extra assignments. Because when you think about kids of color, when you think about kids who are in poverty, they're they're more prevalent to not being able to to obtain the um, the recommendation from the teachers. Why? Because if I have a deficit, if I have deficit thinking with regard to African Americans and their ability mm. to, to to do the harder work, then I wouldn't necessarily recommend them. Mm. Uh, and so that's uh, we need to make sure that we're giving kids the opportunity uh, to learn, and that they have um, they, that they are able to access that um, instructional excellence, making sure that we are uh, providing a high, a high quality instruction, and that we're having sort of a gradual release and, and helping kids to break down those abstract concepts. Um, and making sure that we are uh, also providing, building the capacity of the teachers to make sure that they are the best that they can be and provide the high quality instruction. And so that's something that should be ongoing. So that's taxonomy four, instructional excellence. Uh, and then uh, the taxonomy five is an engaged and inspired learner, where that we are amplifying student voice and we're allowing them to see all that they can be. Uh, and again, that the kids are able to demonstrate their knowledge of, of the various content. And again, make application to what it is that they are learning. So again, the five uh, uh, levels on the taxonomy is number one is physical integration. Number two is social and emotional engagement. Number three is opportunity to learn. Number four is instructional excellence. And number five is engaged and inspired learners. Mm, that's, that's powerful. I haven't heard that um, taxonomy before. I think taxonomies are great. Um, as I study psychology myself, so that's a that's a great way I think to think about and, and break down um, the issues of equity and diversity and, and how they apply. I think that makes a theory applicable in a lot of ways. The way that taxonomy is formed down and, and, and actually that what I what, uh, actually that's a that's a book entitled Building Ex uh, Building Equity Policies and Practices to Empower All Learners, and that's a book through ASCD. Uh, the authors are Dominique Smith, Nancy Frey, uh, Ian Pumpian, and Douglas Fisher. Is that mm. is what I'm citing uh, as that taxonomy that I spoke about? So that, again, that book is Building Equity: uh, Policies and Practices to Empower All Learners. And if you go to the ASCD website, that is where uh, you can find that that resource which I just spoke about. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Definitely have to check that one out. How about the um, the third thing was all means all. Well, tell me about how what, you said that's a, a district wide initiative that you guys have. Yes, that is the we uh, the, the Anne Arundel County Public Schools adopted a new strategic plan which goes from 2018 to 2023. 
And essentially, uh, after meeting with various constituents, talking with, uh, and this work was done before I got to the district, because again, I got here in July of 2018, but they talked with uh, teachers, they talked with um, uh, district staff, they talked with leaders, they talked with parents in the community, they talked with business leaders, uh, they talked with students, they talked with staff. And from that, they were uh, built a strategic plan, which you can go to our website and find, but essentially it's mean all means all, which means that we need to make sure that we are doing all we can for all kids. It's not, a, it's not good enough that one segment of the population uh, enjoys success, but we have got to mm. you know, make sure that we mean all. And, and again, everything as far as with, with the mission uh, and everything that we do, it goes back to all means all. And I was reminding uh, the assistant principals just a few minutes ago when I did my presentation that there is, we're being deliberate and intentional about each presentation that we do, that we actually talk about the strategic plan because that is what guides our work and it needs to, we need to bring it alive and it needs to be more than just a document that sits on a shelf, um, but we need to make sure that we are operationalizing and doing what it says. And so, and I share with them, you know, quite honestly, I'm not convinced that everyone believes it all means all. I think it's nice to put on paper, but we still have those who have, uh, are still operating under the deficit model of thinking and still think that you know the, the best education is reserved for a certain segment of the population mm. when we need to make sure that we are trying to you know again accommodate all students and 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 see growth in all students yeah. you know building that growth mindset even though they might not have it now uh, it's a matter of yet and working with them they will actually be successful mm. so how does your how does your pd session from today translate with these assistant principals back to their schools and into their classrooms one of the things in which um, the district and all districts have uh, some, some iteration of this, we have what's called the teaching and learning cycle. So as we're walking through and we are evaluating instruction and the instructional delivery within our schools, we are actually giving teachers feedback. And one of them, uh, one of the things that we talk to them about uh, is equitable practices and, and how, do, how, that is, how that is represented in the classroom. So when I walk into the classroom, are we using instructional strategies that meet the needs of diverse populations. And again, the, the curriculum that's being taught that students are able to identify uh, whatever, uh, you know, whatever the ethnicity they are, you know, whether or not there is some sort of uh, a, a physical challenge, um, intellectual challenge, again, that all students are able to uh, access that. And so through the evaluation process that we're given that type of feedback and making sure that those things are present as students walk into schools as they're in the classrooms and they look around they see uh displays in which again they can see themselves in the work and so that's that's how that translates we're, we're looking uh, at data we're looking to see what students are being referred out of the office to the office excuse me out of class into the office we're looking to see what students are accessing um the high level uh, uh high level courses uh you know one of the things too that we are charged with doing is looking at disproportionality within schools, so if we see that students are being referred out at a disproportionate level that we have plans in place uh, to look at them, we're looking at the achievement gaps, particularly in seeing how students are performing. And, and, and for those areas in which we see that there is that achievement gap that we are going in and, 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 and trying to mitigate uh, mm. that. Uh, through the Office of Equity and Accelerated Student Achievement, uh, there have been several schools who have been identified for that disproportionality and we have what are called equitable opportunities for children's schools. And for those schools uh, that have that greater disproportionality around behavior and around academic achievement, uh, there, is an, there is an interdepartmental group that is representative of every office uh, in the central office that come around and provide more intense wraparound supports for them 
and provide plans for them. And we meet with those uh, schools, uh, the principals, and their leadership teams quarterly, uh, and giving them some, some, had them identify goals to address those achievement gaps. And then the various offices come in to provide support to help them mm. realize those goals to diminish those achievement gaps and to decrease that disproportionality that currently exists within their schools. So you're, so you're looking at more demographic data to help uh, facilitate your your professional development or how you're going to approach the teachers. You're 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 bridging the gap for your administrators and teachers so you can so they can bridge the gap for your students. Absolutely. And the work that we do, uh, again, making sure that we have the leadership, to, uh, building the leadership's capacity, again, to make sure they understand what they're looking for as far as leading through that lens of equity and building their capacity. And at the same time, we're actually also helping to build the capacity of the teachers. Hmm. Uh, through the Office of Equity and Accelerated Student Achievement, we have what are called equity leads uh, who are teachers in each one of the buildings because, again, 126 schools. So we actually provide an additional stipend to a teacher who is the equity lead. Mm. And so we also meet with them as well quarterly, and they are the ones who provide the professional development that comes to our offices uh, in, within their schools. And so we meet with them uh, as well to build their capacity and to provide uh, teachers with strategies, uh, equitable strategies. Uh, in fact, we're in preparation now because we'll be meeting with the equity leads for the final time this year on next week as they prepare for the, uh, the, the fourth and final professional development in March. And one of the sessions uh, and one of the PDs that we're gonna be providing for them is mitigating for implicit bias. And again, and we're having some schools actually right now who have uh, extended that conversation. There's a book entitled uh, Ending uh, Racism. And so with that, we are actually uh, giving them again strategies to identify the implicit bias, but not only to identify the implicit bias, but also to give them some strategies to mitigate for that. Uh, one school in particular has actually uh, done an extensive book study with that and have been talking with the teachers ongoing. And it's been a hard discussion, but mm -hmm. they have, I, I give kudos to that particular high school uh, and that they're persevering through it and having the hard conversations. And, and they're beginning to see some, um, some the, the change in data. They're interrupting the narrative. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, and, and, and trying to bring about some change with regard to, to those marginalized students who have not been experiencing success, academic yeah. success. Yeah. So so continuing to go um, lower level, what are what are some of the strategies or, or you referenced a few books? Where do you find some of the strategies to help impl implement and, and mitigate um, some of these practices? And I know you mentioned um, how, how you're tracking this behavior. How, how can that's a lot of schools to track a lot of data. How, how are you guys doing that? Well, we have an instructional data division who are second to none, uh, and they're actually, they've set up various programs in which, you know, we have early warning systems that alert us to um, track that data and to identify those schools, again, which are running into uh, the problem of that disproportionality. And so within the instructional data division, there are actually staff members from that division who are assigned to each one of the clusters and so again, they have that data on hand and they're providing that in constantly there. We have a data repository that is constantly updated, looking at assessment data, looking at discipline data, looking at attendance data, and the schools can access that data hmm. uh, and then make some changes about it. Because, you know, we think about, you know, again, not wanting to be data rich and information poor. So what we do is we take the numbers, uh, take the numbers to the names, hmm. from the names go to the needs, from the needs go to actions, from the actions to the results. And so hmm. again, they have this data that's available to them. And so as we're going in, as the leadership teams are meeting, as we're having collaborative planning, 
We're looking at student work. We're seeing where students are not achieving. We're adjusting instruction accordingly. Where we're seeing behavioral challenges, we're providing wraparound supports for them to give them mm. social and emotional support so that students actually can um, be successful. And so we're looking at that data and then we're being responsive to it and being actionable about it and being, uh, again, and looking at that data, having them develop school improvement goals that are you know, not just haphazardly doing it, but again, being intentional about it. And so when we ask the question, why are you doing this, whatever this is, mm -hmm. the answer needs to be the data made me do it. Mm -hmm. And there's a pointing back to that data. And so the instructional data division is extremely masterful in providing that data and breaking it down. And two, we also, you know, we have data platforms where the teachers can have data at their fingertips so they can drill down and see, and again, be very intentional about the supports that they're providing uh, for the students and making sure they have a laser-like focus on that data so we're providing them what they need and when they need it. Mm. So how much time does it does it take for me um, to, to do this from, from a macro and a, and a micro level as um, assistant principal, how long is it going to take me to help the teachers understand and, and really get this rolling, just starting out now, get this rolling in my school for the teacher, how much of my planning period should I be spending on equity or how many how many extra hours or, or days, you know, how am I spending my time to make sure that I'm, I'm really getting this um, in my classroom? This is an ongoing process and not about a amount of time that you can put on it. And again, equity has to permeate everything that mm. you do. As you're, as a teacher is for planning his or her lesson, they need to look at equitable strategies in which they're looking, uh, how, they're, how they're presenting it. You know, mm -hmm. how are kids being able to represent, how am I able to see, how is my learning style being appreciated? How is my culture being represented in that? How am I able to demonstrate my content naturally? Because maybe if I'm not a student, who, believe, who, who is strong in paper and pencil, am I given the chance to do some sort of dramatic monologue? Am I able to represent my content mastery by developing a program? You know, so again, it, it's, it is an ongoing thing. It's, it, yeah. it, it doesn't stop and, there, and, and it has to be at the forefront. And when we have inequitable practices, we have to know that they are. Or when we have implicit biases, we need to first of all understand what they are and understand the various cultures because again, as, as a society, we're becoming much more diverse. And so we need to make sure that we are, again, uh, knowledgeable about the various cultures. And it's not easy. And, it, and it's causing you to have to you know, have conversations. It's causing you to have to read up uh, and, and have some conversations. Also, again, amplifying student voice. Students know how they learn and, and how they learn best. And so having some conversation with them and having them active uh, in their learning and making sure they're engaged. Yeah. Yeah. So is, is your way of thinking as a district, is it progressive or is, is your equity department in, in the things that you're doing? Is that um, constant? Is that a, is that a priority in uh, the Maryland DMC area or DMV area? It should be and it should be a, a priority for every school district. I can tell you that it is. A, it is. Um, you know, we've gotten very clear direction from our superintendent <laughs> and from our board of education that it is important. Um, but again, public schools, we are a microcosm of society. And so we still are dealing with people who have um, different ways of thinking. And so the, the same um, the same socio-political stuff that's going on, the same ideology that we see when we turn on television, um, those people show up in our classrooms. They are, they, you know, they show up in our schools. And so we have to, we have to challenge that. We've got to challenge um, behaviors. And so I'm, I would like to say that 100% of the people in this organization believes in equity and it's a priority for them. But if I were to say that to you, I'd be mm. lying. 
Hmm. And so what we have to do, and one of the things that I share with the assistant principals just now and the PD, is that as the instructional leader of the building, when you see someone doing something that is inequitable, then you have got to hold them accountable. You've got to call them out, and it's not going to be an easy conversation hmm. to, ha- to have. You know, for, uh, you know, what we've been having uh, racial problems within this district, and I'm not sharing any uh, um, information that you can't find by Googling it. Uh, where we've had racial incidents that happen, happen in schools. I will say that our superintendent has had a community meeting where he's called it out and he has said to them that he, you know, he is quite concerned by people who would do uh, rape, any type of racist act. And again, he reminds them of our mission that all means all and that we are going to celebrate everyone uh, in our schools and everyone is important. And so all we can do is continue to talk about equity, the need for equity, and how we truly are. We're better together. And that's another mantra that we have in here, that we are better together and to celebrate the divergence of thought. Because again, diversity is a strength. We don't want to live, we do not live in a homogenous society. Mm -hmm. Uh, Everything cannot be the same. And so we will continue to talk about equity. We'll continue to talk about the importance of equity and we'll talk and continue to provide strategies uh, for uh, teachers uh, and staff members to uh, realize that. Yeah, yeah. So um, how about, Brooke, I meant to, I should have asked this earlier about implicit bias. Give me some examples of implicit bias um, and how, how we see that in education. You know, an example that one of the assistant principals gave this morning, which I thought was a great example. She talked about, as assistant principals, how do we respond when we see a group of black boys walking down the hall, as opposed to how to respond when we see a group of white boys walking down the hall. So are we are we saying to one group words your past, but then at the you know and then to another group are we saying you know you know you know get back to class the game, you know uh, with regard to um, you know uh, another one that comes to mind too is the fact that because if you don't see parents coming to uh, the PTA meetings or night activities, they're they're not concerned about their kids. When mm. in fact they're working two and three different jobs. Uh, you know, the fact that we don't have kids who are in, uh, that we do not see the same diversity in the upper level courses that we see in uh, all the courses, mm-hmm. that, is a, that is implicit bias. So there, you know, there, there, there's, so, there's so much. I'll tell you another one, as a black man in education, the fact that feeling like we're the ones that need to be the disciplinarian for the kids. And so why as an African American mm-hmm. male, even though I do have a PhD, why am I seen, seen as a coach and, and coach material, but yet and still, when you come for uh, uh, professional development, that I would be the one that would be leading the professional development. Right. All of that type of thing uh, would suggest that there is, you know, implicit mm. bias, or the fact that again, that we are constantly beleaguered by this achievement gap, and no one has done anything to interrupt that. And because and there's implicit bias to understand to, to be okay with the fact that that's still going on. Mm. So, so how do you find or define success in your in your career in your work? Why are you doing what you're doing? I am doing what I'm doing because it is about the kids. I have been blessed um, to have an upbringing where I came from a uh, you know a, a good uh, a home with a Christian foundation. Uh, education was important to me. I was taken care of. I was never hungry. But not realizing until my senior year in college, where I was doing my teacher internship, and I realized. There was this kid who was homeless, an African-American male. I can see him right now. And he was talking about, I was asking him, why was he getting his work done? And he was talking about he was sleeping because he was hungry and he didn't sleep well last night. And I was thinking, well, why didn't you sleep well last night? And I mean, why, aren't, why are you hungry? And when he told me that he was, you know, again, uh, mm. you know, homeless and, you know, and, and that was foreign to me because, again, because in my, in my world, 
you know, I went home to a meal every day. We sat down and we had dinner. And so, again, I do believe that education is the great equalizer for kids uh, and for society. And, and again, not that everybody has to go to college, but just being educated mm-hmm. uh, is very important. And so it's, it, so education is, it, it's, 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 it's my passion. It's my, it would be my ministry. Um, yeah. And I'm very important about education because, again, in order for, for, for us to enjoy all that society has to offer, we have to be educated. I'm currently reading um, Dr. King's Where Do We Go From Here, uh, mm. Community or Chaos, and it's eerie about how he was so prophetic back in 67 when he wrote it. And he talks about education and having an educated society and that being our best avenue for success because it leads to the prosperity in so many uh, facets of our life. Mm. Mm. Are you happy with the direction of education right now? I am not. What needs to change? I am not, um, because unfortunately, uh, again, uh, with with regard to uh, the education, and I will say that there are various districts who are doing a whole lot, and I'm just I'm just not happy that we are not getting the successes that we need. Another thing that concerns me too is with regard to so many people who are non-educators who think they can do it better than those of us who are trained in education. And I think because people have gone to school, they feel like they know better than we do. And education is so complex. I mean, you know, not that I'm that old, but still education has changed quite a bit from when I was a student. And so we just need to give uh, all kids and, you know, an opportunity um, to learn. And sometimes sometimes some laws actually work against us. And so, um, but we do have some schools who are actually getting it, getting it right. And so we just need to find out it, it, it's, it's hard, com- complicated and complex work. We have to be committed to it because We've got to have an educated society in order to have hmm. a successful society. Yes, indeed, and I appreciate your work for sure in um, in, in helping make turn education around and help um, change that. Because it's interesting as as education has trained changed so much um, in the students and the technology and the way that we teach so it changed so much the the kind of system or the way it works has stayed the same in a lot of ways and in, in, in not really um, progressing students in the way that, that we need to or getting them ready for the workforce. So I appreciate your, your work to bridge that achievement gap, the, the gap in education. And that's exactly why the DASH exists. What, what final takeaways, last words do you want to share with a, a principal, administrator, district level, PD person, guidance counselor that's listening right now and... Um, what, what what words of advice do you give them to, to stay hopeful? Um, that this is truly God's work and that we have got to leave kids better than they found them. And so you have to be committed to that cause. Be willing to uh, hold people accountable to make sure that all kids have an opportunity for the best future. And that is being going to be done um, through education. And, uh, you know, I guess the best way to talk about it is... Um, and the thing that keeps me going is Galatians 6 and 9, to be not weary in well-doing. Mm. In due season you shall reap if you just don't faint. And there's mm. many days as a principal, as assistant principal, <laughs> as superintendent, and even in this position, it's like, Lord, whatever you do, just don't let me faint. Right. Right. Amen. That's a good one. We can we can close it out on that, Dr. Hughes. Where, where can we find you if somebody wants to know more about you or the equity practices that you guys have in, in your county up in um, Annapolis? How, how do we how do we get in touch with you? Um, as far as you, you can follow me on Twitter. I am at E-D-U-K, the number eight N. That's at E-D-U-K. Uh, the number eight and educating. 
on Twitter, or you can, uh, the way that you and I connected, Trey, is via LinkedIn. I'm mm-hmm. on there, Lorenzo Hughes, and I'd be, uh, anything I can do to help, uh, just please let me know. I'm excited, actually, to be speaking at Collegiate Day uh, at a church in Salisbury, Maryland, uh, actually my church, and we're going to be talking about edu- uh, college, uh, and I'll be planning to having an educational focus there, so uh, whatever I can do um, to help, and then please let me know. Of course, there's a lot of good people doing some great work, especially yeah. in South Carolina, where you are. I'm thinking of Michael Bonner. There's another young man whose last name is Gupton, I believe it is, mm. who was a track coach down there. So you all got a lot of good stuff going on down there. Some brothers doing some positive things down there in South Carolina, we're, including we're, yourself, Trey. Hey, thank you very much. We're trying to get out of that number 50 spot. They, they When I started working in education down here, they used to always say, thank God for Mississippi. But Mississippi passed us up in uh, the education ranks, however that's filed. So we're, we're trying to come up out of that. I, I thank you so much for your time in the day, and I thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode right now, take the time to share it with another educator who needs to hear it. Our job and mission here at the Dash Podcast is to help provide you with challenging, meaningful, significant conversation on how to bridge the gap in education. Come back next time. This is The Dash.